Hammond. And I'm Dominic Patton. And this is Deadline Podcast TV Talk. Today we'll be discussing what shows to watch this summer and what shows are currently on the bubble. Plus, you'll also hear interviews done from our annual Emmys Contenders event with the cast and creators of Queen Sugar and Shameless. But before we get into that, let's talk about what's on the small screen this summer. It's a ton of great stuff. It used to be that summer was where basically the dogs went. There was repeats of, I remember growing up on I Love Lucy, which is great, but there was nothing new on in the summer. It's a whole new world now. Yeah, well, I, you know, summer viewing has turned in, I think all of television viewing has turned into a year-round thing. Um, and uh, there's no formal season anymore like there used to be, which, you know, and of course the financials at that time with three networks, you know, they had to have repeats of their shows. Now there's so much opportunity. Cable really is. It's prime time is summer to debut shows. And of course, I mean, we're not going to talk about it today, but of course, reality shows gave birth to their their genre in the summer. Yeah. But let's talk a little bit about what I think really is going to be the king of the summer, because it's the king and queen of everything whenever it's on, which is Game of Thrones will be back on July 17th for its well seventh season, which is actually technically its second to last season. Now, we've already talked about in previous podcasts about how they're not going to be eligible for the Emmys this year because they're starting so late. Do you think Game of Thrones will lose any of its thunder by coming back later? Uh, well, it depends uh, what they're doing in this season. If it's spectacular. There's going to be na- nakedness and killing. Okay, well, it's the same thing then. So, you know, uh, but if it's truly spectacular and different, yes. But I think a, a show getting into its seventh season anyway is going to start to lose its mojo, uh, you know, and what's cool about it. And uh, losing this momentum of not being in the Emmys this time will probably hurt it for Emmys. Yeah, but I, I, I don't think... It's not going to hurt it for viewers. I think actually it's <laughs> going to grow for viewers because I think what's happening now is, is you know... Now things are the screws are tightening, so to speak, on Game yeah, of Thrones. Right. Going into a second to last season, everything is going to be about looking for the setup yeah. for the finale. Right. And you don't have the George R.R. R. Martin books to use as a guide now because George is actually behind on the books from where the show is. Yeah, I think Game of Thrones will clean up this summer. I, I do think too, it will in be- terms of ratings and in terms of what it can do for HBO. It's definitely the event uh, of the summer in ah, terms of shows. I disagree. What? The event of the summer is the return. Uh, Technically not in the summer, but let's be clear, it's going to run deep in. Yes. The return of Twin Peaks Twin on Showtime Peaks, yes. on May 21st. Yeah, and that will be, and that is going to debut uh, simultaneously at the Cannes Film Festival, giving so it smart. extra gravitas, I think, there, and a lot of worldwide publicity off of that. So that is smart, and that is definitely an event, if the show's any good. Um, well, you know, <laughs> look, I think the first season of Twin Peaks was one of the greatest seasons of television yes, ever. And, and after that... The second season was like, no. I, I don't know, I've seen some repeats of like shows I didn't want to diss that hard that were better than that and I think David Lynch has copped a little and Mark Frost have copped to that a little bit too there's a lot of expectations that Showtime have with this there's a huge amount of hype you know they're not even giving out any sort of previews or anything to critics this is Lynch and Frost want this live there's going to be a big event here in LA uh, a couple days beforehand everything's embargoed same I'm sure there are going to be similar restrictions at Cannes what do you think I mean Lynch is a Cannes favorite so let's kind of take his big screen world and his small screen world the con thing is so smart, but do you think it will really work? Well, I don't know. I, I you know, uh, Twin Peaks, it, it's, you know, first of all, Twin Peaks was sort of peaked. <laughs> and I don't think anybody's oh really... Oh my God, you saved that. <laughs> You've been saving that. I, I don't think anybody's really been begging, oh, can I have more Twin Peaks? I've moved on and I loved uh, Twin Peaks, per- particularly the kind of mood of it, the score, the way it was produced. Um, but uh, it didn't seem to me, uh, it ran out of gas, quite frankly, as we, as we just mentioned. Ran out, of, ran out of coffee. Yeah, and, uh, and uh, the Cannes Film Festival, 
is a great place for cineasts and people like that, but that ain't enough uh, for a television show here. And uh, so it's going to help it in publicity, but will it help it ultimately find an audience again and recapture the glory that was Twin Peaks of its first season when it was on ABC? I'm not so sure. I don't, you know, but I think that's a little bit of a false standard because I don't think you can capture the glory of something so new and unique and wonderful. You yeah. know, it's, it's. Then there, why do it? Well, there's money. I yeah. mean, the obvious reason. <laughs> there, uh, the other obvious reason is everybody and their dog loves revivals, reboots, and resets. And yeah. it's it's an easy way to make make something and get some buzz out of a lack of real originality. And I think that's something, and no, no diss to Showtime or David Lynch or Mark Frost, because they certainly are not the only people guilty of this. But there's endless revivals and reboots. Like, you know, I used to love Prison Break, for instance, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. I, I thought the first few seasons of Prison Break were great escapist television. Different right. era, of course. Mm-hmm. This revival they did, I mean, guys, really, like, <laughs> did somebody else? a lot of money on taxes yeah. like that's always what i think to yeah. flip that around okay we've got a couple of other things though that are really interesting now we're going to see marvel's the defenders debut yeah. on netflix yeah. on august 18th yeah. and this is rather than a revival or reboot this is a culmination you know marvel has had four series on uh on netflix they started out with daredevil good they went to jessica jones Great, won a Peabody. They went to Luke Cage, which was awesome, nominated for a Peabody, didn't win. And then they had Iron Fist, which lacked a certain punch. The Defenders is bringing all those together in a real New York set superhero world. You know, the these team-ups have done well on the big screen. They could do very well on the small screen. Sure, why not? You know, I mean, uh, television always copies movies anyway, so... Uh, Ouch! <laughs> so untrue. Let's see uh, how well they copy uh, the Avengers idea here with the Defenders. I personally could care less, but, you know, it's uh, it's Netflix again. I mean, Netflix just throws everything against the wall and sees what sticks. Um, this will get a lot of attention because it is a, you know, it's a pastiche of all of these characters. Um, I and- wonder if it'll attract new audience though because I mean I, I think the audience that watches these Marvel Netflix shows is that audience I yeah. think I think Jessica Jones attracted a little bit of a new audience because of the nature of it being a, a, fem- a strong female uh, led show but you know, I'm just not sure if it'll bring in more subscribers, but it will yeah. maintain. And yeah. certainly Netflix's primary business model, excuse yeah. me, <clears throat> is somewhat based on the sense of churn. And yeah. this will bring people in. I feel like it's like the date, August 18th, is like, yawn, please, excuse me, but I'm so sick of this stuff by that time. You know, the big screen and everything else uh, that I want something a little more meaty. Uh, oddly enough, Netflix is putting on a war machine, which is going to run through the summer uh, with Brad Pitt. And uh, that's much more exciting to me than The Defenders. I'm much more excited about seeing what Brad Pitt's doing, uh, you know, with a day and date uh, theatrical and television event. And I'll be interested to see how much Brad eats in this one, as he does, <laughs> as he does motif. Now, there, of course, are a number of great shows also. Uh, FX has Snowfall from John Singleton. There's going to be I Love Dick, the new show from um, Jill Soloway. amazing things about I Love Dick. You know, it, it, it. it got a great response at the Sundance Film Festival this year. Yeah. And, and also at their um, Emmy event. Uh, people were talking about it. I was over there doing something and uh, for Amazon, and everyone was bringing up this show, I Love Dick, even people who said they were disturbed by certain elements of it. Um, they thought this was the show. I've never heard a show so talked about that I really knew very little about. Well, I mean, obviously, it, it's based on a, on a semiotics, one could say, novel from 1997. But my thing is, look, 
Jill Soloway's a genius. Catherine Hahn has always deserved to be a lead. And honestly, who can't get enough Kevin Bacon? Let's quickly talk about two other things. House of Cards is back for his fifth season on May 30th. Hard to tell where House of Cards is really going to live in the universe now. Does the real world of our real life POTUS actually overwhelm Frank Underwood? And can he ever go as low as Donald Trump seems to go regularly? But, and I know this is one for you, it's the fifth and final season of Orphan Black debuting on June 10th. Yeah. You've always had a, you've always yeah. had a keen eye for the show and, and yes. it not getting always, up until recently, the credit it deserves. Finally did uh, for Tatiana Maslany. And, uh, you know, and, and certainly it never got that Emmy cred. But I think now this show is on the radar and it's, it's a really good show. Um, I like it. Yeah, but that's, that's you know, one of them that it, we expect to be good. And it will be good. I have great faith in that one. I want to mention something here, though. On our whole list of all of these uh, summer shows, the number one summer show isn't mentioned. No commercial network is mentioned here. America's Got Talent, back for its 12th season. And Simon Cowell, back for two. I was at his house yesterday, and I'm doing a little story on him. I had a great time, and we talked about this, why this show keeps building. It built last year off of its ratings when Simon came Well, and it would be interesting to see what happens now that Nick Cannon's not going to be involved. With it. Yeah, you know, that's well, definitely yeah, going to shake things he, up. They started shooting it without a host. He said, "What are we going to do? We don't have a host." And uh, are you auditioning? <laughs> well, look, when you have forty-five minutes with Simon Cowell, you know you do try. Oh, uh, I've got a good act, man. You do. do. You could be I the do. next one. Dimension. Anyway, that's one to look at. NBC brings that back every summer, and like I told him, you know, you know it's summer when you start seeing the promos for America's Got Talent. You just know it's summer. It's a summer show. And it's one that's done exceptionally well. And they're hoping to get some Emmy attention finally. Well, America's Got Talent, certainly. And we should also mention, too, there are a number of shows that have already debuted that are definitely worth your attention. American Gods on Stars, The Handmaid's Tale, the adaptation of Margaret Atwood's amazing book, is on Hulu. There's Dear White People on Netflix. And The Leftovers is in its third and final season on HBO. All are worth checking out. Also worth checking out, it's a word from our sponsor. This week's episode is brought to you by the critically acclaimed drama Queen Sugar. From Oscar-nominated filmmaker Ava DuVernay, executive producer Oprah Winfrey, and Warner Horizon scripted television for OWN. Variety calls Queen Sugar visually stunning. Ebony raves that it is one of the best shows on TV. And USA Today says it is a well-acted, moving family drama. For your Emmy consideration in all categories. Now, talking about TV that you can watch this summer, earlier this month, actually last month now, we actually had our Deadline Contenders event at the DGA, a packed day full of 50 shows, 25 networks, just incredible. And among those we were talking to was Ava DuVernay and the cast of Queen Sugar. Here, take a listen as we talk about some of the stories that they talk about that are about working and talking about being outside the mainstream. Now, Ava, talk about, let's talk about some of the larger issues about this. I mean, you talked about representations of African-American life that we don't see and that you wanted to see. We talk about the story here that's a very different story than we commonly hear about African-American life. Because to be honest, a lot of it is like, oh, it's in New York or it's in L.A. And it's just kind of very central, maybe Chicago. This is in the South. This is very different. As Don Lynn said, I don't think it's giving it anyway. Your character plays someone who's a very successful person in Los Angeles, whose husband is, was, uh, a major basketball star. And that life has really changed and was, it seems, the apple of her father's eye among the siblings. So I wanted to get a sense of do you, what were the expectations you had going into because your first television series like this and what, how were those expectations and challenges met and what surprised you? 
Um, well, they were met by having the safe space of own. It was met by, you know, after Selma being really thrilled with the, um, uh, the kind of, I don't know, courting might be a little too too much, but um, nice calls that came in from lots of places that wanted to, when they heard I, I was interested in television, and to really just say, uh, we're trying to do something different with this, and I need a place where I can breathe and do that. We need a place where we can have black people in the South, where, you know, the matriarch of the family is a waitress, and, um, you know, uh, one of the three major characters is a formerly incarcerated man, who Kofi Serbo plays beautifully, and what life is like after you're released, and after you've done your time, but you're still a second-class citizen in this country, which is what we do to people. I'm a little activist about that. I made a whole movie about it. Sorry, Cole. You might have heard of it. It was called The 13th. It was Kobe's pretty damn good. 13th, give it up for her. I pour all that into Kofi. Um, but then also the issues of class within family, which is something that I've experienced having family who's in the South and me being in Los Angeles and how they regard living in L.A., what they think we're doing out here, how we're living, what's going on, and kind of putting that all into Don Lean's character, um, Charlie Bordelone West. And then also with Rutina, who we have some similarities. Uh, and just trying to... The, the more than just the hair. More than just the <laughs> hair. The struggle to try to live a life of authenticity uh, within the chaos that the world lays at our door, doorstep and activism and all that good stuff. So, um, so it's a very personal story and it was all wrapped up. It was important that we found a place that we could actually challenge some of these these preconceived notions about, you know, black black familial life in the middle of America. And then also, you know, realizing that we were on a network that usually is not at events like this. Um, and they acknowledged that and said, do you want to bring that here to tell the story as opposed to be lauded for the story or to be, or, or to be on a quadrillion television uh, sets? Do you just want to tell the story? And so that was a challenge for me as an artist to say, yes, I want to do that and whatever happens happens. And so we're doing that. The ratings are fantastic. The reviews have been great. And we just quietly are started our second season. Of course, as I was talking to the cast and creators of Queen Sugar, wonderful Mr. Pete Hammond here was talking to John Wells and William H. Macy of Shameless, talking a little bit about how people discover the Showtime show through streaming services. We've also seen a whole different change in the industry, too, with the uh, advent of Netflix and Hulu and the streaming services, where Shameless is also available on previous seasons, and it's really done wonders uh, uh, for the show itself, too, having this new avenue, right? Yeah, it's been pretty remarkable. I mean, uh, you could speak to it uh, overnight. Um, everybody on the street wants to buy Frank a beer. It, it happened very quickly <laughs> once it went to Netflix. Our audience quadrupled, it felt like, overnight. I think part of what starts to happen, too, is that <clears throat> we now have the consumer, the people who want to watch it. Some people love kind of seeing one hour and then waiting, the anticipation of waiting to see it the next week. Other people are anxious to be able to see it right away and want to see a bunch of them together because they get excited about it and that's the way they prefer to do it. And so it's opened up uh, an avenue for all people to, to take for the audience to find different ways to see the shows and to catch up on them. In the case of Shameless, because we weren't on uh, Netflix until very recently, till the last year, uh, there were a lot of people who didn't subscribe to, to Showtime, who didn't have access to it, and then did, and then kind of wonderfully said, well, where can I see some more? Well, you can see some more at Showtime, and then came and said, I want to see it at Showtime because I don't want to wait a year <laughs> to see what happens next. So I, I think everybody in the business is trying to figure out, you know, how do we do all this? How do we 
gauge what's best. I can only say in the case of Shameless that uh, it feels, you know, a lot of it's anecdotal, but it feels as if there's been a huge surge of, you know, additional interest in the show. And I think that's because a lot of people have caught up with it on, on Netflix. And we see it in the, in the uh, chat rooms, we see it in the blogs, we see it in the amount of fan mail we get, we see it in just how many people get stopped on the street and how many people ask me if I'm out of my mind. Um, <laughs> you know, and, uh, uh, and, and so I, you know, I think we're all trying to figure this out. Everybody in the, in the industry is trying to figure out, you know, how are we gonna use all these various ways that people wanna get it? You know, I work at Warner Brothers and have for many years and, um, and it's looking as if it's quite possible they'll be purchased by a mobile, phone by AT&T, you know, who also owns DirecTV. So then what does that mean? Are we actually going to be, <clears throat> you know, making things specifically that you're going to get exclusively first on your, on your uh, cell phone? This week's episode is brought to you by the critically acclaimed drama Queen Sugar. From Oscar-nominated filmmaker Ava DuVernay, executive producer Oprah Winfrey, and Warner Horizon scripted television for OWN. Variety calls Queen Sugar visually stunning. Ebony raves that it is one of the best shows on TV, and USA Today says it is a well-acted, moving family drama. For your Emmy consideration in all categories. Now, as we enter the dog days of summer, which we're going to get to eventually, one thing that, of course, is always on everyone's mind is who is going to be coming back? There's a number of shows that, of course, are on the bubble, and people have favorites, and people have ones that they just really want to see someone pop that bubble. We could be talking a little bit about this, and I have to say, I'm going to give you one right off the bat, that I'm 99.99% sure is coming back, Designated Survivor. It's, Love it. It's done, it's done exactly what ABC needed it to do, and it's given us a new iconic version of Keith Sutherland that I didn't think was possible after 24. Yeah, well, I, I loved the show. I loved it, and I I'm, don't watch all these shows right off, but the premise intrigued me right away. The promos, the way they built it on ABC, uh, that I started watching it, and I'm, I'm behind, but I really like that show. I can't imagine that ABC would not be bringing back Designated Survivor. It's been, you know, a show that's talked about it's perfectly timed it was perfectly timed when it came on and uh, just like 24 was for Keith the last time back yeah. in 2001 the guy the yeah. guy's got timing like he maybe is a guy to go make a couple of bets at the track with he does and it's and it's a show that gets more interesting I think as it goes along too they can explore a lot of things first I thought well where are they going to go with this but I, I I'm encouraged by the direction of this show I think this one is definitely I it shouldn't be on the bubble I don't even know why we're talking about it but ABC is not as of this moment, when we're doing this, uh, officially renewed. When you don't push the button, the missiles don't launch. But to talk about <laughs> some other maybe designated survivors, I mean, one of my favorite shows of last year, and it blew me away because I thought it was going to be terrible, was Fox's uh, version of The Exorcist, yeah. which was just beautiful, wonderfully done, so surprising. And of course, not a lot of people saw it because it was on Friday nights, which, of course, if you're not Blue Bloods, not a lot of people see you. No. But I really hope that Fox brings this back. They have kept their powder very dry, but this is a great show. And they perfectly set it up with their leads, especially with Ben Daniels, to go further. So I really hope this one comes back. I guess so. I had no interest when I heard The Exorcist was coming on. And uh, quite frankly, I, I could care less if it gets renewed or not. Uh, the movie, to me, was everything and a television series based on that. However, well done this one is and it is very well done just doesn't sort of grab my boat here doesn't float my boat you've got grab your boat you've got your movie snob i, I on do today. i don't have my newbie movie snob thing because i hated the sequels to the movie too you know that movie was so iconic so good what more do you need you well, know. this is the thing. Now, this is something 
I'd love to see you. Like this is yeah. again, this is on the revivals and renewals and resets. Maybe there is some point we need to say enough. We need uh-huh. like six. We need a six month timeout yep. from any sequel, any reboot, any renewal. Yeah. In a sense, though to talk about, it's not really a sequel because it's part of a canon, but CBS is elementary. Mm -hmm. Now, CBS did not give this, did not put it on its list of early renewals, as our colleague Nellie Andreeva pointed out on the Bubble Bubble article recently. Yeah. You know, this Sherlock Holmes modernization, again, it's a grinder, but I'm really surprised. CBS has given it life a number of times. I'm surprised they're not putting it in the oxygen tent again. I don't know. They own it. It's a moneymaker for them. It's, it's, uh, It's something that they certainly can sell worldwide wide and make a profit and it's strange that uh, they haven't renewed it uh, at, at least as of now because uh, this would seem to be a cash cow for them yeah and, I mean and, Les, uh, Les Moonves actually told investors uh, a little while ago about how it makes so much profit because of all the places they sell it and all the platforms yeah no. so why not keep it going or maybe they feel they have enough episodes now you know in terms of the profit center here or maybe it's going to start costing more to uh, produce as it gets uh, older here with those actors and things I'm not sure what the uh, contract renewals are on a show like this. There's always some little backstory yeah. when there's a show like this that has not been renewed, and it's usually a negotiation tactic. That's my guess here, but uh, uh, I don't know for a fact. But I'm, I'm surprised that that's not one. Since CBS is the king of renewing all of these procedurals, all of these shows, C-S-I-N-I-S-A-A-A, all of them, <laughs> whatever with initials, I don't care, you know, and then they do them 12 times, so does every other network. And it's just that's what the networks have become, and they feed off these things. So many of these shows come and go that you don't even know what's on the bubble, or do you care anymore? You don't. Well, one I really care about a lot is is John Ridley's American Crime, but I have to say, I don't know. The bubble is the bubble looks like it's close to bursting. It's acclaimed. It's wonderful. I mean, I think it's some of the best television that's out there right now with its current season, season three. But it just doesn't get the numbers. It's an ego show for the ABC television network. It's a show they know they can go and get good Emmy seats at. And they'll get nominated. And to be in business with John Ridley is very good. And he's doing a lot more in television now. Academy Award winner. And uh, and so it gives them a, a sense of prestige. There still is that jealousy factor that the networks, the commercial networks, have against cable. That they can't compete here. And when they do land a show like American Crime that can win Emmys that can get nominated, they sort of keep it as a loss leader, even though they know nobody's out there watching. Because they really like a lot of studios, don't know how to sell their prestige stuff, except maybe once in the fall. our handle an independent-minded thing. The networks really don't know how to sell this with everything else they have on their schedule. How do you program a show like American Crime, you know, with all the crap that the networks program? Or I shouldn't say crap, but just... You the, said crap. Okay, I said crap. But it's not crap. It's procedurals. It's a different kind less, of television. Let's call it less than stellar. Yeah. But they're, they're, our dramatic shows are either done by Shonda Rhimes or they're procedurals. That's yeah. what it is. So how do you program a show like this to make it successful on a network? Or maybe, you know, maybe part of the thing is the dynamic of, of, of programming nowadays. And of course, you know, CBS are the masters of this in many ways. Is the dynamic is, is maybe you can't. You know, maybe yeah. in the world where cable and streaming and the, all the other options are, a show as worthy, as fantastic as American Crime yeah. is just simply not a product of our time. It I want be, but I want to talk about a couple of other shows. You know, uh, it'd be interesting to see what happens with Underground on WGN America. No word on season three, even though they praise the thing to the the hand. But there's a lot going on there, and of course, they recently canceled their most watched series, Outsiders, as part of what they called an effort to free up resources for more diverse programming. Whether or not that will be for Underground's benefit or not, I don't know. One show I want to talk about. 
There's two, actually. Powerless, which NBC pulled for their schedule, but I really hope they give it another chance because it's got a great, fun premise. It just needs to be tweaked up. But also, Timeless, which has not gotten any renewal notice yet. And yet, you know, seems to be a show that really could help. They've done some good... Uh, delayed viewing numbers and those numbers may be strong enough for the network but they just I don't know it sits there well what, what, are the, what you know look at their whole schedule do they really need that show you know is that a show that they want to bank uh, another season on keep spending money and throwing it against bad the show has not gotten the buzz that uh, other other kinds of shows but here's get. the thing though is, is that, but then flip the script right do you want to do that but also, do you want to then take down a show that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a provider, right? Yeah. Just say a provider. Take that down and spend millions and millions and millions of dollars promoting a new show that you might not even get. You might not. I mean, the, the weighing off is like, this, this thing's up and running. It's not tanking. And it's, it's, it's doing, like elementary, it's bringing in a nice, steady amount. So right. do you want to say, we don't want that. We want something that we think will get all this attention and it'll last four episodes. Well, we've seen this happen many times in NBC's history, since we're talking about them. Hill Street Blues almost got canned yeah. in its first season, you know? And imagine if that had happened, what we would have missed. You know, sometimes shows need a little more time uh, to grow. Not that I'm comparing Timeless to Hill Street Blues, but, you know, this may no, be... Though there'd be a good Timeless episode if they went back in time and we're to, on Hill Street and, Blues. And on yeah. Hill Street Blues. And that be may careful be out the there. answer for this show, Dominic. I, you know what? And then you get to bring in a revival without even admitting it. Yes, it's a perfect idea. I hope NBC's listening, and I'm sure they are. Well, thanks for listening to the Deadline Podcast TV Talk. You can find me on Twitter at Deadline Dominic. And you can find me on Twitter at Deadline Pete. And of course, you can find all of our Emmy-breaking news coverage at Deadline.com. And today's show was produced and edited by David Janot. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you later. Later.